0: Welcome to Women in B2B Marketing, a show where CMOs, VPs of Marketing, and all strong women leaders in B2B discuss their top tactics, strategies, and tips for building high-performing teams, leveraging trends, and ultimately rocking their marketing careers. Made by and for women, insightful for all. I'm your host and 15-year B2B marketer, Jane Sarah. Let's dive in. Welcome to Women in B2B Marketing. Today, we have a very special guest, a good friend of mine and amazing B2B marketer, Sandra Rand, VP of Corporate Marketing at Forasio. Welcome, Sandra, to the show. Thank you.
1: Super happy to be here. This is going to be fun. So I am the VP of Corporate Marketing at Thrasio. At Thrasio, the corporate marketing function oversees everything to do with the Thrasio parent brand. So Thrasio is a next-gen consumer goods company and what some people call an Amazon aggregator. So we aggregate, we acquire third-party endemic Amazon brands, and we stabilize them, optimize them, and then use our expertise to grow those brands' footprint on Amazon and beyond Amazon. Um, expanding product lines and reaching customers globally. The Thrasio Parent brand is in the corporate marketing team's purview. So we touch everything to do with driving m a pipeline for our m a team, reputation management for the Thrasio Parent brand, working to expand our B2B footprint with retailers, affiliates, influencers, and things of that nature. And then we have my counterparts on the marketing side that actually oversee the, the growth uh, of our consumer brands on and, and beyond Amazon.
0: Such an interesting model. It's funny, you said you have an M&A team, but I didn't even realize that. But when you first told me about the model at Thrasio, it made me think of M&A, right? Because yeah. it's so different because you're not driving. I mean, you are driving SQLs, which we can dive into more there, but you're not tracking revenue on your side of growing the pipeline because you're buying, you're purchasing, right? So you're getting a pipeline to pay, Instead of a pipeline right. to get paid to sell to reverse, yeah, it's interesting, yeah.
1: Yep. Yeah, it's really different. It's, um, uh, it's a unique in the sense that I don't have a traditional sort of sales counterpart. We do have sort of the BDR function, right? But that's to, to your point, to engage with sellers to see if they're interested in selling their brand to us. Um, and then, yeah, we don't have ARR, you know, recurring revenue. Those aren't sort of the metrics that we're focused on. We focus primarily on the acquired EBITDA. And we look at the, the EBITDA opportunity 12 months down the road for this brand. So how we sort of follow all the way the pipeline from marketing through M&A in terms of what can the brand grow to under our, under our operations? We're still sort of mapping that. Obviously this year has been an interesting challenge for e-commerce as some things have gone sideways and, and we've been dealing with you know the sort of macro headwinds, but really being able to assess the value of a, an acquired brand based on how we can grow that once it's, it's within our, um,
0: under our management. Yeah. So interesting. But B2B, especially lately, and you mentioned this to me when we were talking previously and I'm seeing it, I don't know if I'm seeing it more since you pointed it out to me, but all of the B2B content I see out there is truly SaaS focused. Great for me. I'm currently in SaaS, but there's a whole nother world of B2B marketing that is very service-based or other. So that's been a lot of, a large portion of your background is the service side. Can you kind of dive into the different sides of B2B that you've seen from a marketing perspective?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. So started my career in a PR agency working for technology companies. They were high-tech, long deal cycle um, sort of investments and then went into um, an education field where we were um, driving leads to colleges and universities for their sort of student pipeline for for-profit education and then went on to a consulting role where, again, I was sort of working with a bunch of different organizations. One was, a you know, back in the day, it was the Daily Deals thing was like super huge. And it was yeah. a B2B daily deals company, again, not technology, not SaaS. Um, and then went on, went on to the agency world where we were driving pipeline for our biz dev team, which is where you and I met. And then now here at Thrasio driving MA and um, pipeline to, to acquire these brands. So yeah, there hasn't been a whole lot of um, of tech in my ba- or, or SaaS in my background. And yet when you think about the best practices and the sort of thought leadership that's out there, it is very specifically tailored towards SaaS marketers, um, and it's just different. It requires people like myself and others that are sort of following this other path to interpret all the best practices. Right, like I said, we don't have ARR; we have a different version of LTV based on how the organization can grow organic, um, you know, growth. On the other side of the acquisition, so, yeah. um, so it's just very interesting the 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 need to interpret pipeline in a different way, right? We don't have you know freemium model, we don't have like yeah, sort of God, all those different right. things that we take for granted, right? Right. Um, so everything is up for interpretation for this month, and, and it makes it both fun and interesting, right? There's not one sort of de facto thought leader that sort of speaks my language, um, yeah. so but it's fun to sort of take these concepts and and these foundations and apply them to something that's very different, just to see like what can sort of translate. Um, but there's definitely, you know, I think there's a, there's a bit of a need for more of that, a more holistic B2B view of, of what marketing can do to drive and grow business. And it doesn't all require the kind of pipeline that, that SaaS organizations are thinking about.
0: Yeah, definitely opportunities to be more creative there and create sort of your own paths, which reminds me too, with Thrasio, do you feel, I know this is one of those terms, every, all these terms in marketing mm-hmm. come in really, really hot and then you kind of get sick of them, but mm-hmm. category creation. Do you feel that Thrasio has, has, was involved in category creation? Cause you guys were really the first. Now there's a few competitors that have come out there, but when you first came in, I yeah. mean, it was hard to wrap my head around what, what Thrasio did because it was so new, which sort of is the signal that it's a category creator, right? Right, right, yeah, th- that's exactly right. I mean, we have to educate the market. So, so there ha- there
1: were organizations before Thracio that embarked on a similar path. They did not succeed with the model. So that's sort of where Thrasio comes in. We, you know, yes, we sort of claim the first because we the first to sort of get to certain milestones and growth. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it was certainly an interesting path. And I think the the nature of category creation um, was was. The team started to carve into that before I joined, probably not even realizing. Um, mm-hmm. I do think there were some interesting things that we sort of joke that our founders educated the investor set from their desks, right? It was sort of during the, the beginning of COVID where we really started to get our traction mm-hmm. and, um, and the investors had to be really educated on what this model would be. Um, and that sort of paved the way for our competitor set to do the same and, and to start to um, capture some of the, the capital in the market. And then from there, it was having to educate sellers on the fact that they could even just sell their business, right? If you think about you get to a certain growth point on Amazon where you are capital constrained because you need to put too much into it in order to continue to grow your brand, or you need, you, you want to um, embark on, uh, expansion opportunities that you just don't have the capacity for. If you're a one person shop or you share the brand, um, operations with, with two or three people, it's just too much. And, And a lot of people would come to us, um, you know saying that I, i've just grown it to the to the degree that i can i can't take it any further where do i go um but it? i know you have resources yeah. yeah exactly you have the resources to take it further and i want to see my my baby grow um Aww. and so it was um so so the interesting thing was that our team would really get um on events and um on podcasts and webinars just evangelizing the, na- the notion that you could sell your business. So many people didn't know that. So many people just give up on their Amazon brand if it became too much or if they weren't getting the traction that they thought. And now they have this option. Um, and we're seeing more and more that there's other sort of players in the space too. It's not just aggregators. There's other sort of um, private businesses that, that will buy these brands. There are large mm-hmm. brands that are interested in this sort of area. So yeah, it's definitely created a whole new category and opportunity. Yep.
0: So more indirect competitors have popped up too. Interesting, sort of, yeah. yeah. I mean, there other mm-hmm. other stores, even it seems, that are kind of buying up some more MA model, um, but from a store, yeah. You know. Interesting,
1: yep, yeah. yep. Yeah. There's been, um, so it's a product competitor, it's sort of a spot treatment for acne, and they just got acquired. I think it was like a 14x multiple, um, wow. That, yeah, there's been, there's a lot of, um, uh, so there was a lot of press around it and a lot of um, visibility and, and it, you know, piqued our interest too, because we wanted to see sort of how these, um, how these brands could grow, you know, not just by being aggregated through, through our model, but um, to other sort of private buyers, which is really interesting.
0: Very cool. And in your unique space, so again, not um, SaaS, as we often think of with B2B, what has been or is currently the biggest Pipeline driver for you, different kind of pipeline. But what's bringing in? Still, it's it's about leads at the end of the day for most people. Or correct me if I'm not, and it's not about that. But what's been working or the best channel for you? Has it been events or content or what do you think is the shining star?
1: Yeah, I think that there's been we have a bunch of irons in the fire, and there's a couple things that um, have really. Uh, we've seen value from one is obviously the sort of a broker led relationship. There's a lot of brokers for these types of businesses. Ah. Um, and so we have really solid partners, uh, partnerships with, with brokers in the space, um, to either give us a f- first or early look at some of these deals, um, that come in. We also have seen a lot of success with. Uh, PR and, and podcasting. Like I said, when we first, you know, started the business, there's a lot of opportunity to just educate people on the fact that they could sell their business. It wasn't just about Thrasio sell it to us. It was the fact that you even could and, and this yeah. existed and this was an option. And so using in the seller community, they're very big on, um, on podcasts and, and multimedia. And there's a lot of YouTube channels with experts sort of sharing their expertise on how to grow Amazon brands. Um, and this started to take hold within those sort of influential circles. Um, and that gave us as a platform to sort of talk about this and so those sort of even though some of these podcasts have been out there 2 3 years that's continued to be a source of um sort of shine a light on on Thrasio as the leader in the space and then truly events i think um interesting you know we sort of talk about the difference between saas and other b2b uh, businesses but there's also something interesting when we think about um selling to amazon sellers it's not your traditional B2B target, right? I'm not selling to like CTOs or CMOs or, or other folks that are in more traditional corporate environments. We're selling to entrepreneurs, founders, people that, (laughs) right, exactly. Yeah. People that, um, started this business seeking, you know a wealth opportunity for themselves or wanting to see how big they could grow these brands on amazon working out of their homes creating prototypes in their garage like these are not your typical b2b buyers so um so with that in mind there's a big community of these of these sellers now i think community pervades across all different um professions and and cuts of 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 people but the amazon seller Um, is very rooted in community and in, in these sort of more intimate settings where they can share candidly the challenges that they're facing, the successes that they're having, solutions that they're coming across, and just sharing that in more intimate environments. And so, um, I think like events has been a huge opportunity, a huge pipeline driver, not just pipeline driver, but also reputation driver that allows us to sort of show up as a peer versus a vendor. That's huge to me. Um, and I actually think more, you know, we talk about more and more businesses need to take that approach um, to sort of stand out. I, and I think that it's sort of it's an easy line to cross. Um, yeah. But I think, you know, that's one thing that we've found to be really successful is to show up to these events. And just say candidly, like this is this is how we're running these brands. This is what's working, this is what's not. When it comes to MA, consulting with sellers on how to get their own best deal, but also within the confines of, of our point of view, you know, this is typically what we look for in a business, that sort of thing. So um, I think just being really showing up really authentically is is important and helps us sort of carve out that reputation that helps drive pipeline.
0: Yeah. So it seems to be in every area very, very focused on relationship building right? Establishing mm-hmm. and then strengthening and growing those relationships with the brokers you mentioned, right? So that they think of you um, when these opportunities yeah. come up and then with the entrepreneurs themselves. So establishing that reputation, but these building these relationships again, probably mm-hmm. referrals are another big channel for you. Once it's, yes. if there's such a community, once you get in mm-hmm. with somebody and they've, they've seen their baby grow, as you've said, um, they can then recommend Thrasio to others. It's so a very relationship right. driven in that way, it seems.
1: Yes. Word of mouth is a huge, you know, when we think about when people show up to our contact form and they had you hear about us, word of mouth is, is always one of the top ones that comes through Um, because it is very, like I said, the Amazon seller community is tight knit. They share their, their wins and losses. They share their experiences. Um, yeah. And, and so that sort of helps that ripple effect for sure. I, I would say more than any other, more than any other role I've had, nurturing relationships has been so important for the success of, of getting in with these sellers. And I, and, you know, I think, again, I think that that's not unique to Thrasio and our model. It's not unique, but, but it's something that, um, is, is a non-negotiable now.
0: Yeah. Perfect. And aside from Thrasio or no, before we go into you, I want to dive into you for sure. But before we go down that path, what hasn't worked. And this doesn't have to be through It could be from conversations you've had with others, with peers, et cetera. But these are the things that we just touched on what has been working and what the shining stars are right now. What hasn't worked or what are you done with? What are you over um, on the marketing side, the marketing world?
1: I want to say it's a little early to say that anything hasn't worked. the, The entire aggregator concept is only four years old. Um, so we've identified the things that has, that have worked, um, the things that, that are working less, or maybe just things that we haven't spent enough time on refining and understanding. So for example, um, there are, I, I do think a rising tide lifts all ships. And I think that everything has its place and purpose. Again, we are I will say that that people look to Thrasio and we've we've been told in a number of different sort of venues that Thrasio has really professionalized the notion of selling on on Amazon. Um, you know, one of the first events that we did for, for the organization, we showed up with this big 10 by 20 booth and there was a big build and we had contractors coming in and stuff hanging from the ceiling and, and, and the the vendors around us were very like pipe and drink, which is totally fine. But it was just sort of like, we showed up with, with a little bit of a flex on the brand side. Um, Mm -hmm. right, right. And I'm not, and so, um, so I do think that things that we're finding that don't work, it's probably just because our approach needs to be tweaked or we need to do more of it and prove it out before um, before we decide that it doesn't work. I don't think that we've over the course of the last two and a half years, we've done a lot and probably even we've probably dabbled in a lot of areas, but have never given um, some of these channels enough time to really mature and see whether or not it's meaningful in terms of working or not. So, um, you know, I'm not ready to say that like nothing has worked for us or things that we're just not spending time on. Um, but I do think they have a time and place to grow so and mature another for our stack.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Always I think like test opportunities. Yeah. To see how. Yeah. Work, not just the. Yeah. Role. Exactly. Right. We did a lot of like
1: paid advertising last year that looking back on our strategy, okay, I would have approached it a different way. It didn't necessarily work for pipeline, but it worked for reputation. Okay. Well then yes. we start approaching things in a different way with different metrics in mind and tracking them and spending across the the funnel a little bit differently. Um, I think those are just things that I would change and, and I wouldn't say it didn't work, but it, it provided learnings.
0: Yeah, exactly. Just, I see that a lot where Paid media now is used, at least in the B two B world, um, for that branding side, but less so for mm-hmm. pipeline because it is, and in most B two B areas, so word of mouth driven. At the end of the day, so it's one of those impressions yeah. out of the twelve you need to actually bring them home, right?
1: Yep, so, yep, that's all right. And, and if you think about, sorry, I was going to say, like, if you yeah. think about the life cycle of some of these engagements, like s- some some B two B businesses, I spoke with one yesterday, they're. Deal cycle was down to like six days, five days, six days. But wow. but so many are on the software side. This is another services based um, organization. Yeah, yeah. But on this on the software side, sometimes it could be six months. Instant. It's you know depending oh, on your price point. Way. So yeah. Yeah. right, right, right. So um, uh, yeah, so I think there's something to be said for being mindful of that and setting those expectations on how you spend for paid media, especially um, to to make sure that that's really driving the the kind of metric and behavior that you want.
0: And I want to pivot a little bit to you and your background and how, how did, I know your background, you have a strong background in PR. Uh, Was that your first kind of role or step into the marketing world or tell me a little bit about your very first marketing job and how you got to where you are today?
1: Yeah. So I kind of have a funny, yeah, funny way that I sort of got into marketing more broadly. So I did start my career at a PR agency was, you know, this is before, um, social media was a thing. It was, um, you know, cold calling reporters and trying to tell them why they should write about my, you know, enterprise technology client. And, um, and it, it wasn't necessarily a bad role. It just, I, I it didn't satiate my interests or, or my desire to learn more about the broader function and discipline of marketing. So we had one client um that actually used, so it was a, just pure play PR agency. We had one client that used us to do email marketing. And it was just very like simple HTML like send this email once a month kind of thing. We were just sort of like the the helpful resource for them. And I got placed on this client and I learned HTML just to do this, this email send. And then I got placed on another client that was actually an event series. So it was called search engine strategies, um, which is now, I think it was owned by incisive media. Um, I think there's been some acquisitions or or mergers or something to that notion, but SES doesn't exist anymore, but we would do PR for SES. So I would sit in the press room. I would um, pitch press to come to the event and learn more about the event and give us some coverage or, or work with them to develop coverage after the event. The interesting thing about search engine strategies was they were talking about SEO, SEM, paid paid media. Um, and then as social media started to become a channel that people paid more attention to, they would have these sessions on social media. So um, instead of being the good disciplined PR person that I was by sitting in the in the press room, I would sneak into the sessions to learn more about social media, SEO, SEM. And my world just started to open up and I started to understand all the different, um, how all of these different pieces, uh, worked functionally together to contribute to a more holistic marketing strategy. So, um, mm-hmm. after that role, so I, I was there for. Almost four years, I think, and after that role, I um I nev- I went into a more um social media and search sort of generalist role at a startup at the education startup that I spoke about, um and there it, that environment was just fantastic because it allowed me such an opportunity to learn new things, break things, try things that didn't work. And, um and that was just a great opportunity to learn. Right. And I've always had this, just this hunger to to continue to learn. And so um use that as a, as a playground and opportunity to just figure out what are the other pieces of marketing that I, that I don't see and work really closely or that I haven't had my hands on before and uh, work really closely with our leadership team to um, be, be a part of new projects. I always loved, mm-hmm. I, I identified the fact that I love to start things. I loved it's starting things from scratch a blank slate is super fun gives you a ton of autonomy to craft strategies that are creative and different and um and leverage the expertise that you know the the experience that you've you've brought to the table so um so yeah that's kind of how i started to get into more generalist roles and it's made for really fun you know i contracted sorry i was a freelancer for about five years prior to having my kids and there wasn't a single role where I was just doing one thing. I was doing a little bit of everything for, for people. And that was a need, you know, I worked with, I did work with a lot of startups um, that just needed warm bodies to get things done. And again, it was just a huge opportunity to be able to do email marketing, SEO, um, social media, content creation and syndication, like all of those sorts of things. And I just think that that really set me up and gave me the foundation to see how all of these different things worked well together Um, so that I could sort of play at a strategic level and, and, um, and build from there.
0: Yeah, amazing. And I love that you're one of the few people I've worked with, and Sandra and I have worked together in the past, and that's how we became besties. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I've seen firsthand just the the start or the foundation from PR from that world coming into marketing is so helpful. And it's just such, it brings such a good perspective and just solid writing chops, which is hard in marketing because oftentimes people come from the ad side nowadays, right? And it's, again, amazing aspects come from that too, but it's great to have that storytelling capability and and knowing how to network and get those relationships that you need to get that attention from PR. So it's a a good path that you've, you've taken from PR into marketing. Yeah. And I do think PR
1: has played so many different roles for people too. You know, we used to work with someone that, you know, when there was... Uh, a PR placement, um, we, we needed to insist that there was a link back, right. Cause that helps drive SEO and, and targeted traffic back. Um, now publications have their own policies around whether or not they'll link to a certain, um, uh, business. You can always ask, but doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen. Um, but so it's, it's very intertwined. And to your point, I think PR shows up in a lot of ways, for example, events. I mean, PR yeah. is a huge piece of, okay, how do we decide what to speak on? If we have a stage opportunity, if we have a speaking opportunity, what's What's the right way to weave in the messaging that we want to bring to the market, the things that are important, what sort of products or services are we going to market with soon that we want to start to evangelize and, and sort of speak to that um, expertise. And um, and so I do think PR has really weaved its way throughout all these other different functions within marketing and, and certainly like the messaging and positioning. Um, I think Thrasio has been maybe one of the the biggest Um, Opportunities that I've had to really see how important it is to be very specific in how you're showing up and and articulating your differentiators in the market.
0: Amazing. And in your 15, 20 years of experience um, in the world of B2B marketing, what have you seen change? What's something that comes to mind that's that's changed? I mean, things change every day in our space, but what's changed for good or bad (laughs) that you've seen over the last couple of decades? It's crazy that we can do um, that now, by the way. <laughs> it really is. I think, um,
1: oh, this is gonna kind of sound like a cop-out answer, but the only um oh god, what's that phrase? Like the only change, the only thing that stays the same. Oh, the constant, you know, yes, the only yes, thing cha- the, yeah. the only constant is <laughs> change. That's not any different than it was twenty years ago. I think that's why, you know, it was such an opportunity early in my career to just keep learning, because here's yeah. the thing marketing. There's never, it's never, there's never like a solid playbook period at the end of a sentence. That's how you do it. It's constantly evolving. There's always new channels. TikTok was not a thing three years ago. Um, there's always new ways to use old channels. Um, that's evolving. There's always different expectations from B2B buyers. We're seeing this huge shift now, right? Everyone's talking sort of about the dark social and, um, and demand creation versus demand capture. And, and so, so all of these things are constantly moving. Um, and, and marketers, especially, it's just such an interesting, um, sandbox to be in because you can't, you have to, that's one critical part of being a good marketer is the insatiable um, drive to continue learning because mm-hmm. being set in your ways, you you're going to be outperformed within 18 months to a year. Uh, cause there, sorry, 18 months to two years, because there's so much else that's going on and so much that's changing. So that has always remained the same, um, yeah. that everything is changing
0: <laughs> all the time. So true, which I like your perspective on. It provides opportunities for anybody to get in because it's constantly changing. You can get in. I see so many people that are um, evangelists in the dark social world right now, right? And they might right. not have a decade or so marketing experience, but they're experts in this dark social, so it's a great in. Right. And then next mm-hmm. year, it's going to be something different. In five years, it's going to be something different. Do you, right. um, do you have any... Predictions, or what do you think is going to change other than continuous change for sure? Right. Do you see yeah. anything that, that you think that you expect to happen or become a bigger aspect in the world of marketing, B2B specifically, in the next five, um, 10, 20 years, whatever? So I hope this, I hope I'm right on
1: this. I think Gen Z is going to materially change the way that we interact with our buyers and our B2B buyers, our targets, yeah. because there's an expectation now of um, polish and perfection and met- and metrics-driven ROI. Don't get me wrong. I don't think that metrics-driven ROI um, will go away, but I think the appetite to um, be in the weeds and measure everything will be matured out of the profession. I think we will understand that um there needs to be this notion of what's working, let's continue to focus on what's working, but you don't need to overmeasure every single channel to try to yeah. fine tune every single piece. I think you know the the Gen Z, you know, as they sort of come into this more adult professional chapter of their lives, they are the kids in front of the camera, right? They're the people that are posting things they you know, with with unwashed hair, and they're right. They're the creators, mm-hmm. but they're also like they're not waiting for things to be perfect to put themselves out there. And I think yeah. that's going to teach our generation of marketers to just push it forward and see what happens, and and you know, push something out there that's not perfect. And um, and I think that that will be welcome. I'm I I love B two B creative that is based on memes, that is based on current events, that's based on. You know, people sitting in zooms, just sort of talking like we are right now. That's perfectly fine to get your message across. And you don't need these like hyper polished expensive assets, um, to, to really build loyalty. And frankly, I think that, that it's sort of um, Gen Z will poke a hole in that. They're not, they're not going to, it's not going to be so easy to build trust with them when you're just showing yeah. your best foot forward. You sort of have to show all the sort of warts and, and wrinkles um yeah. in order to really show your authentic um sort of brand to them. So I think that's, sure. you know, That goes in terms of like how you respond to crisis, you know, how you respond to current events, like all those sorts of things are becoming more critical and more part of how a brand shows up. Um, And you sort of can't hide behind the polish anymore.
0: I love that. Just being genuine. It's Mm -hmm. funny, a a big word of the year for me this year at Just Do Know and in my personal life has been iteration, right? So it's all about get something out there and then make it better, make it better, make it better. But at least it's out there and you're working on it. And Sandra, you're going to laugh for me telling this story. But back when Sandra and I worked together, we both had this perfectionist block where we wanted Mm -hmm. everything to be perfect and perfect. And so it would end up getting a little delayed because we wanted to put our best foot forward. So we had this mantra, which is not super original. Everyone knows this or should know it. If you don't, then I'm happy to share it today. But done is better than perfect. I think Sandra yep. in her office. She put it on one of those letter boards. I and do. Just, I still have, do it, up still
1: have there.
0: it. Do it. What do you say? Do it anyway. Or, or uh, it yeah, anyway. it says do it
1: it's anyway evolved. now. But it was <laughs> yes, it was you know, perfect is the enemy of good or whatever. Yeah. yeah.
0: And just it's I so I love that prediction. Just it's so true. Things are better when they're raw. People relate to it more. It's out there. Some mistakes, I'm still a grammar queen, but some mistakes are are okay to have. And hey, it makes things sticky and memorable. So get it out there and then you can keep adjusting and growing from there. And people will love to be with you on the journey. I love that. Right. Right. I think you can't learn unless you put it out there. You can't learn
1: from what works or what doesn't. I think interestingly, you know, Amazon sellers, we've done a couple of different content surveys where a lot of their responses are like, I actually don't care what channel you share information on. Just tell me what's working and what's not right now. Like they are not very discerning on, um, on how they get their content or, or how polished or, or fancy it is. Right. They just want to brass tacks understand what's working to grow brands on Amazon now.
0: Speaking of Gen Z. Back to our younger selves, knowing everything that you've learned now, what's something that you would tell your younger self getting into that that PR company for the first time before you even got into the world of search and and marketing in general? What would you tell yourself if you could speak to her now? Speak up in meetings and ask
1: the questions, even ask Mm -hmm. the stupid questions, because that is something that I have um I've struggled with through my career I feel like I'm very aware of it now and continue to chip away at this the sort of these limiting beliefs about myself in terms of how leaders show up um there's I think it's been ingrained especially in our generation of women that a leader knows all the answers and needs to have all the answers and that's so wrong that's so wrong and so um don't be afraid to ask the questions to get clarity to make sure that there's some understanding of of what's happening be insatiably curious um instead of silent i think that i i learned that lesson um later than i wish i should have i feel like i you know could have made could have added greater value in places in my career if i had asked the questions and been more curious sort of outwardly versus feeling scared that i would, you know, look foolish in a meeting or yes. um or someone would expect me to already have that answer, things of that nature. That is i think that's one huge huge takeaway that i'm already sort of uh reinforcing with my kids and um and oh, i think I is is a big that. takeaway for like ask the questions. If it, you know, i use this comparison. Do you remember in high school when you were in, you know, some sort of math class towards your junior senior year you're probably working on more advanced things and And there was that one girl that always asked for clarity and you secretly like, thank God she's in this class because she's asking that question. And I'm so like, I don't want to answer. I don't want to raise my hand and ask that question because I feel stupid, but she's asking that question. Like that's who you need to be in a boardroom, in a meeting, in a senior leadership meeting in an all hands. Like that's who you need to be because you, so so many other people have that same question. Um, So getting over that hump and putting yourself out there is, is a huge, huge opportunity. And in turn, you look like a better leader you're a better leader by asking those questions and getting that clarity yeah. and getting those inputs. So 100%, that's that. the one.
0: First of all, goosebump response, because that's <laughs> so true. I think, I love that you're saying this. And it's interesting. I think back when throughout our career, as we were advancing it's, you're right. I think that the mentality has shifted over the last five years, maybe, where now in all of the leadership training and any kind of coaching you take, it's all about asking the right questions, right? That's encouraged. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a positive now, which is amazing. It should be. But back right. 10, 15 years ago, it was so the opposite, it seems mm-hmm. for both of us at least. Um, where it was, you didn't want to ask the question. You didn't want to seem like you didn't know what you were talking about. You couldn't own the, what you didn't know. Um, it was not, it was frowned upon. So you just kind of kept quiet and then researched afterwards, tried to figure out your own answers. Um, I love that that has evolved already. And that's, that would be great advice. Do you think that this is more so something we saw because we're women Or do you think this is across the board like generational thing that has evolved? It's a good question,
1: and I don't know. I think as women, we face so many other challenges that we can easily put it in that bucket and yeah. and use that as as an opportunity to say yet another example of how um women have it differently than men in the boardroom or in a professional setting and but I definitely think generationally too it's that's probably something that's a little bit more accurate. I think that there's yeah. something along the lines of you know we think about our parents, our parents um you know, probably came from more generations that weren't as comfortable talking about emotions, weren't as comfortable as showing love outwardly, um, those sorts of things. And we got to break that cycle. And so I do think part of what we saw from our parents was having all the answers, right. Sort of top down from their, the way that they conducted business and, um, and just their role within families growing up too. And so I think um, there's a little bit more, we're much more eyes wide open in terms of, you know, respectful parenting approaches that influences how we work with our teams. And I think, you know, obviously I'm just speaking towards us because we're parents. Um, I think this applies even to people that, that don't have families of their own, but I think, um, there's definitely something to be said for um, Gen Z is, I think, is a lot more fearless than, than we are. And so um, it will be an interesting balance to see how they yeah. really come into their own in a professional setting. I will-
0: yeah. You're also making me think back um, when I first started my career, generationally speaking, right? My parents, I had my first job out, out of college after internships and whatnot. And it, I was there for maybe four years, great company, love them to this day. But I knew that I needed to be elsewhere and I, I needed growth. I was still super young. I was working um, not in the city back when I was in New York, I was in a suburb. I just needed growth and networking. I needed the next step. But I spoke to my parents about this, you know, back when you're 21, you you go to them for advice, maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they were like, don't leave. You have it so good there. You have to stay. So everything, you're bringing back memories of that conservative, cautious mindset, right? So hearing yeah. this probably was related to that. You can't speak up. You can't ask questions. You have to stay where you are. So true. Security. Security. Yeah. Security. Yeah. And I remember then I spoke with my sister, thank God. Um, She's like, Jane, you need to leave. You need to grow. Right. It's okay. <laughs> Worst case scenario, you, it doesn't work out. You get another job. They're all stepping stones. Um Right. All very thankful for an older wise sister, but yeah then and it was a great trajectory for my career, but it, it's just interesting how that mindset sort of was in us and thankfully because of our progression and then our kids and the next generations they just won't won't have that perhaps. but yeah, interesting right. to see the progression.
1: Yeah, you're right. And I actually think my husband and I were talking about this last night about people of our generation don't stay at organizations for 10, 20 years anymore. Um, it's rare, right? Um, doesn't mean it doesn't happen, but, um, I definitely think that, that there's a lot more acceptance of people, yeah. you know, having these cycles of just a couple of years and they go on to the next thing or even just a year, year and a half and go on to the next thing. Um, and I actually think that COVID probably accelerated that even more, that more broader acceptance of that because, um, people aren't waiting anymore to find They're, they're not waiting it out to see like, all right, I'm going to tough it out and see what happens. And no, they're, they're going on to the next thing. Now, obviously this is the job market is, is obviously sort of a factor there, but, um, but I do think one, there's been a more broader acceptance of gaps in your resume where no one's really blinking an eye at six month or one year space in your resume anymore, because who knows what you were going through at when COVID first started or the peak of it. And, and so there's like this wider acceptance that you don't even have to sort of poke holes in that. Yeah. Um, And then just this notion of like people job hopping a little bit more frequently than than at like a four or five year mark, Um, just because we, you know, we deserve to find the careers that are fulfilling to us and people aren't going to wait around to see, you know, for very long to to try to find those important pieces.
0: I love that. And also I'm seeing you and I were just talking about this prior to starting the recording, but people are taking sabbaticals now. Um, more frequently. Mm -hmm. So you see that gap on the resume. I've actually seen people on LinkedIn show a gap and write sabbatical um, or break or my favorite um, took time off to be with my kids or have a baby. And they actually put this on their LinkedIn profile now and I'm loving it. It's just this transparent authenticity. That's just, I love it yeah it it lends itself
1: to i feel like one of my big things too is bringing your whole self to work that was so refreshing and hopefully changed for the better you know during COVID was a forcing function for people having to live and and invite yourself into their home office you know i remember when i first took um my role at thrasio our vp of acquisitions i think he had four, maybe five kids and, and not a single meeting went by where like there wasn't a child cameo. And it was so lovely because he, you know, he's on the executive team and, and it was just nice to see he's a real human being. Right. And to see more of that and for people to people to sort of talk through the challenges they were having, being at home with everybody at that time. And and it just, you know, that sort of rooted the the need for for bringing your whole self to work. I think I I try to be a good example of that with my kids. Where you know, there's a lot of people on my team that have younger children, and so you know, if their their child is sick or if their child needs something, like I'm my daughter's room parent this year. That means I'm going to go into her classroom and help out, you know, occasionally on a monthly or bi monthly basis, and and do that sort of thing. I love to be able to, um, you know, stop in the middle of the day and and go run an errand because the grocery store is not busy on Monday afternoon compared to Sunday yeah. morning, that sort of thing. And so I try to lead by example for my team that like, this is a blend, right? I have stuff to do. You have stuff to do. When things go sideways with current events, obviously we've had a bunch of um polarizing sort of examples of, of things that are really impacting people personally, sort of in the world right now and encouraging my team to take that space, take that space, to take the day off, process, do what they need to do to sort of center themselves, to be able to deliver their best work. That is super important to me. And so, like I said, hopefully I try to lead by example on that, but um, just reinforcing to people like you are a whole human being. I don't yeah. need you sitting at your computer nine to five cranking at work. Like I need you to be in a healthy headspace to deliver good work when it's due. And I think that that pays back in spades.
0: Totally agree. I still have somebody on my team, not right now, maybe a year ago, who told me, Oh, no, this happens still periodically. Oh, I'm going to be offline. If you'd see me off Slack, I, right. I have to hop out to do XYZ. I'm like, you don't have to tell me that. Right. I trust you. I hired you. You're right. still here because I trust you. You're doing your job. That's what yeah. matters. And I agree. You're, 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 there's so many other elements to your life other than this, this one component of this job. Um, hopefully yep. your career is important to you, but it's, it's right. one piece and there's other things that are being juggled. So as long as the job's right. getting done, I don't need to to watch the the green light turn red on Slack, see that right. you're offline. I'm never looking at that. No one should. <laughs> right. If people right. are, maybe reconsider where you are, everyone. I <laughs> know. What is your manager doing to you, or
1: your your workplace doing to you that's reinforcing that? I completely agree. I've always it's always been my philosophy that just get stuff done, like get your stuff done. And I think that was my philosophy because that's what I wanted. Because there was a lot of micromanaging earlier in my career. Yeah. And it was like, that doesn't give me the environment to sort of be creative and be loyal and feel an affinity for for the folks that I'm working for. If you give me an inch, then I will take a mile, but I will deliver my best work and 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 tenfold sort of return that that loyalty um, to my workplace yeah. when there's flexibility. I can never go back to something more, you know, Same. sort of typical nine to five. And it's painful to sort of see different corporate environments, going back to some of those, um, yeah. those practices. Cause it's like, you know, these generations of folks, they're not going to put up with that. And, um, yes. and it's really, it's just too bad. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You see some companies now, I mean, I hate to say post COVID almost knock on wood. Cause we're not, I mean, I guess officially it's over, but sure. <laughs> who knows? Um, it's just life now. See, yeah. Yeah. It's just the norm, but people are, are some companies, especially big brands are forcing I say that not so lightly, if they're forcing people to come into the office three times a week, some companies are saying you need to come in Monday, Wednesday, Friday, like which days to come in. And that rigidity, just, I don't see how that can be sustainable to attract the right diversity at your company, um, generationally Mm -hmm. and otherwise, you're just not going to bring the right mix of people because you're focusing on this very rigid conservative view that's going to attract very rigid, rigid conservative employees on your team. Right. So it's it's strange, and I hope that that changes, and they see that pretty quickly and change it back. Right, right. Or
1: you know, probably what they want, it's going to attract people that are just willing to put their head down and fall in line. But then that inhibits innovation, that It won't ask creativity. the questions. It inhibits loyalty. <laughs> they will not ask the questions. They will not like pull push your business forward with those tough questions and those opportunities to flex a little bit beyond what what the core business is. And um, yeah, they'll they'll see those ripple effects five, 10 years down the road, but. Yeah. Well, Sandra, a couple
0: questions before we sign off here. I love to, to ask this question. I, I am still in the SaaS space, but even aside from that, we all, regardless of where you are, even if you're in B2C marketing, we're all using tools, right? So what, mm-hmm. what is your favorite tool or um, in your tech stack right now? What's one, and it could be personal or professional. Let's mix it up. Anything that oh. comes to mind is something that just helps you, as you were saying, get shit done. Yeah. Yep, for sure. So, so there's a
1: couple. So I'll speak to one professional and one personal. So, um, personal is notion. My whole life is a notion. I sort of joked with my husband that we like, you know, if I got hit by a bus tomorrow, I quiz him, like, what's the kid's doctor's names and just to <laughs> yeah. see. And uh, so just being able to sort of just pour go to all my out my notion Everything count everything <laughs> like our whole life is there. Um, but it also just helps me, for example, it helps me sort of, ma- I do a lot of professional development work. I invest a lot in, in myself in terms of like uh, getting mentorship or, or guidance and things of that nature and uh, mentorship with a lot of communities, which you and I have talked about and how valuable that is, especially at this point in our careers and just being able to organize those learnings. To Sort of reflect. Um, it just Notion is a fantastic tool, super flexible and creative in how you can use it, and so um, and it's really fun. There's a lot of templates there that to sort of kick you off in the right direction, which is great professionally. There is so we use sort of your very typical HubSpot to Salesforce tech stack. Um, we don't have a lot of fluff because it's our the nature of our business is pretty straightforward um, in yeah. what we need. But we do invest in a tool called Memo, and Memo is a PR measurement tool that identifies the actual impressions that a PR hit gets in any given sort of um, magazine or newspaper or more traditional mm-hmm. media. So that the way, the interesting thing, mm-hmm, <laughs> right? Well, it, it's a count it's a countable measurement. It, it yeah. doesn't tell you sort of where those people came from necessarily, or it doesn't tell you um, where they navigate off to, but it can identify how many people saw a given article. And, and for yeah. us, um, for Thrasio, I mean, we have been, you know, had a lot of opportunity to gain press through a lot of our funding announcements and sort of our footprint and position in the market. Um, and it's really interesting to see like an article that you think is just a slam dunk, perfect on message, but then you see the only handful of people saw it or on the opposite mm-hmm. side where, um, you know, there's a, there's an article that, um, that you didn't think it was going to fly under the radar and it has a hundred thousand views. Um, so things that it just gives you more context for how people are interacting with your message. And, um, and it's just fantastic. I do do think they work with more enterprise organizations, um, but it's a great tool and that's one that's always going to be my tech stack.
0: Very cool. Thank you for sharing Mm -hmm. both of these. I hadn't heard of them. Yeah. Well, let's see as a sign off two-parter one, what is your one key tip? to fellow women in B2B marketing? You've given us a lot already today, so it can be a repeat, but what's one tip you'd give to just women in B2B marketing? Um, One key tip
1: for women in B2B marketing, um, I, you know, I do think... Um, it goes back to my my answer of of asking questions. Don't be afraid to to ask questions for clarity or for poking holes and um and connect the dots publicly. To share with people what you are thinking and why you're leading to that question. I think it just raises a lot of opportunity for you to show up in a bigger way. Um I also just think take up space. Be yourself and take up space. And I think that asking questions is one way to do that, but also just be, being really clear on, um, what your values are. I think that there's more women of a younger generation that need to see that from us. Um, and so I think we have a bit of a responsibility to, to start to, um, play the game a little bit differently in business. And I think being a full whole person with empathy, um, and drive is, is a combination that, um, you know, I don't think that we have a whole lot of people to look towards to that end. And so I would like to see that being a lot more commonplace in the business world.
0: I love that. And another goosebumps response, <laughs> take up space. That might be my new mantra that I write on the mirror in the bathroom. I love it. Mm-hmm. And I, oof, I did not write down the question from our first guest. So I am going to circle back with you on this and add it to the show notes. But what I'm starting to do is adding a question from you for the next guest. So what question would you oh. like to add for the next guest on women in B2B marketing?
1: Oh, I love that question. Or I love that opportunity rather. Yeah, yeah. What are you doing more of now than you were 18 months or two years ago in business? And it could be like, personally, I'm doing more X personally or like our strategy is now more Y. It could be business strategy related or it could just be in general, how you're showing up at work. Like, what are you doing more now that you weren't doing two years ago? I love that.
0: Can because I failed here, <laughs> it happens live. What can you answer your own question? Throwing you under the bus um, here, let's see how you respond. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, I think I'm being more... Curious at work. I think I'm taking my own advice, right? I'm asking more questions mm-hmm. that even if I'm fearful of tipping my hand on not knowing something, um, I'm asking questions that might elicit uncomfortable answers, um, and not fearing that, not shying away from that, yeah. um, I'm definitely just making sure that I'm working with whole pictures. The other thing that I'm trying to do more of, and this was a, this is a core value from Grasio is assuming positive intent that has mm. really chipped away at old Sandra. Um, I yeah. definitely, you know, it's easy to sort of jump to conclusions when you don't know all the so answers, true. but they go hand in hand. The more you dig in and ask questions and understand motives or context or where someone's coming from, the more you can understand that. You know, there's a lot of good people out there that are smart, caring, and and invested in what you're doing too, they're just approaching it in a different way. So assuming positive intent, asking more questions has been a game
0: changer mm-hmm. for sure. I mean, the amount of bathroom mirror mantras that you've provided <laughs> in this call, center, I love it. I'm gonna list them all in the show notes. So Everyone get, get your post its out. Yep. Right. <laughs> I love yeah. it. So if anybody wants to connect with you after this call, where's the be- best place to do so? The best way to do so is probably on LinkedIn,
1: uh, Sandra Rand. I believe, I think my maiden name is still on my um, on my profile, Sandra Prue Rand um, at Thrasio. And my email at work is sandra.rand at thrasio.com. And I'm on Twitter, though not very actively. So probably not best to follow me there. Um, but yeah, that's I'm, I'm around on the internets uh, as a <laughs> else is, So just. Actually, don't do a Google anymore because I think someone else has the name Sandra okay. Rand and she's a little bit more thoughtful oh, about her digital presence than I am.
0: <laughs> oh, interesting. So, I'll have oh, to search now and see. It's been a while since I've yeah. searched myself too. Reminder. Yeah. To do so. yeah. Um, I yeah. will put all of these links in in the show notes so everybody can, can reach out if they can't find you. But thank Perfect. you, Sandra, so much for joining Yay. me today. It's been a blast as always chatting with you. And thanks for all of the, guys. the knowledge drops throughout. I love it.
1: Yeah, for sure. Happy to, happy to do it. This is fun.
0: Thank you. We'll talk soon. Bye.